that driving feeling. Oh, that driving feeling. Christian Carguy Radio Show. I say this calls for action, and now, nip it in the bud. Nip it in the bud. You got to nip it in the bud. Negotiations Bible style. Bible style. Negotiations Bible style. See the USA in your Chevrolet. America is asking you to call. Here come the Dutch boys. Those good guys are back. With a look in their eye. They mean business this time. My name is Robbie Dillmore, and we're going to ask you to lift up Robbie and his father, please. Robbie called me this morning. Uh, his father had taken a fall yesterday, and he's at Forsyth Hospital with a broken neck. So Robbie is there as a good son with his dad, and I'm here filling in. And we're so glad that you've tuned in to the Christian Car Guy Show. We want to remind you it's a call-in show, and we'd like you to give us a ring. We're going to talk about nipping it in the bud, about how to improve things in a big way, that we want to look at improving things in our lives, and we want to look at improving things in our job, because all the things we do, we should do as if we were doing them for Christ. Um, Our call-in number is 336-896-0830 or 866-34-TRUTH. We would love for you to call in and talk to us about areas in your life where you've made improvements and areas in your life at work where you've made improvements. Um, I had the great honor and privilege to have a friend on the show this morning She's somebody that I look up to and respect, somebody who is, has a great heart and is brilliant. Uh, Jess Orr studied mechanical engineering at Virginia Tech and went on to work for GE and for Toyota Motor Finance, uh, Manufacturing and is now with Westrock. And she is uh, an expert on the TPS or the Toyota production system and the spirit of Toyota. She makes automobile manufacturing plants work more harmoniously and more productively. Think about that. How would you like to be smart enough to be asked to come into a factory and help them get their act together and make things run smoother? Jess, thank you so much for being in this morning. Oh, my pleasure, Bill. I'm, I'm happy to be here. Uh, you've shared with me numerous occasions where you've gone into a factory and you've sat down with a bunch of, uh, I would call boneheads, but I'm sure you wouldn't, and helped them figure out how in the world to do something better than they've been doing it before. And I'd love to know a little bit about what it's like when you get a phone call and somebody says, you know, this manufacturing plant is just about ready to burn it down. And instead of burning it down, we want you to come in and figure out how to fix it. How does that happen? Well, first, I want to I kind of call out something you said that I think is an important distinction. Um, I come in and I help them figure out how to fix it. So I don't come in and tell them how to fix it. Um, my perspective, and I learned this at Toyota, has always been the people who do the work are the best suited to improve the work. So I'm really just, my job is to facilitate and kind of unleash that potential in them to make it better. 
Um, but I'll answer your question with a story. So of a real, real actual example of where, where I had to do this. So one afternoon I got a call from our divisional vice president and it's one of those calls that kind of shook me a little bit. So we had a manufacturing site that had been underperforming since it had opened. This was a a automobile manufacturing plant? No, they actually were an assembly plant. Assembly plant. Yeah, in my current company. So um, they assembled um, the um, merchandising displays that you see at Walmart that you bump your shopping cart into. So um, they, he's, the site had been underperforming for three years, and they had run into a condition in the past few months where they were actually bleeding money. And the customer contract, they only had one customer, and it was up for renewal in about four months. And he said, you know, frankly, Jess, I don't think we even want to bid on it. And this was a site that um, employed 200 of our people. So, you know, I knew what he was saying. Essentially, we were going to let 200 people go. And he said, but Jess, I want you to go in and lead one last ditch effort to try to save the plant. So I hung up that. Of course, I said yes, because he's kind of my boss. <laughs> Didn't really have an option there. <laughs> a good there answer yet. for a boss. Exactly. So I said, yes, sir, of course I will. And I remember hanging up the phone and just putting my head in my hands at my desk, just kind of feeling the weight of those jobs on my shoulders. And I quickly realized that Jess couldn't save that plant. There was no way that one person was going to be able to do that. But if I could leverage the the mind and the skills of those 200 people, we might have a shot at it. Um, I felt that there was a high likelihood of failure. So going into that, I kind of had that sense of doom. Um, But the first thing that I did, you know, and and this is what I do every time I'm faced with a challenge like this, um, you know, there was, there was, I almost felt like God had placed me in that role for a reason. And I wasn't sure how we were going to figure it out, but I knew that God had given me the skills that we would figure that out. And I felt like this almost like calling, like, okay, there's something I'm supposed to do here. And I don't know what it looks like yet, but I'm kind of trusting God that he's going to show me how to approach the situation. It was almost just a spiritual feeling to this endeavor. So the first thing I do is we we had this saying at Toyota, it's called Genshi Genbutsu. It's a Japanese term and it means get on your boots. Um, So I packed my steel-toed shoes, I made my travel arrangements and, and I went to the site for a week. And the purpose of going there is to not to try to improve things, not yet, but to really grasp what the current situation was there. So start talking with people, the leadership team, you know, asking them, what do you think the challenges are here? And most importantly, I was asking the people who did the work every day, you know, what do you think the challenges are? How would you make this better? Um, so I, I spent a lot of time doing that. That's always what I do first. And I started to see some themes when I did that, some some problems they were having, a basic organization. Um, I saw a lot of firefighting, so people just running around like crazy, trying to get orders out the door. And I realized that a lot of people had said that this site was just due to the workforce in that area. That people didn't care, they had low quality people. But going to that site and, and talking with them, I realized that wasn't the case at all. And that so often happens where we're told you know, one thing about a situation and we go there and we find that we've got to take our bias away and see what the actual situation is. And I found that condition was completely different. You know, one of my core values that I learned at Toyota was respect for people. 
And I think that really resonates with my Christian faith, right? Because I think God is the embodiment of respect for people. I mean, look what he did for us. And, you know, with that concept in mind, you know, I found that the people were very capable. I mean, they were working like crazy trying to get those orders out the door, but they didn't have a good system or a good process for doing that. And um, Deming, who's kind of, you know, one of the people who influenced the Toyota production system, he said that, you know, 90% of the time the problem is the process and not the people. And I found that to be true in this case. So once I had a grasp of what the situation was, um, it was time to form what we call a steering team. So who at the site are the key influencers who are going to drive this effort? Who's going to be coordinating it and leaving it? And the reason I did that is I'm looking to form something that can sustain after I leave. So I know that my time there is limited. I want to build a core team that's going to last beyond when I'm there. And then from there, the next thing to do was to, you know, gather as many ideas as we could about what the situation, what the problems were, um, both from leadership as well as people who do the daily work. And then we kind of prioritized those and um, decided what our areas of focus were going to be. So we like to say we focus on the critical few versus the trivial many. So once we had our four areas of focus, then it was time to get to work. But that's what I did first. Folks, we want to sort of put this in perspective. We were firebombing all of Japan, and almost all of their manufacturing was knocked out. And when MacArthur won, he came in there and he bought, brought this man, Deming, who was one of the best, brightest uh, engineers and uh, personnel people in the United States. And he came into this culture, and he tried to take a culture whose usual way of solving a problem was to cut off someone's head. Uh, the last thing anybody expected was somebody below to give a recommendation to somebody be above. And Toyota, Toyota's father was famous. He was considered the uh, Einstein of Japan. He'd gone out and figured out a way to make looms work better. And his son came in and took a loom factory and turned it into a car manufacturing company. And those principles helped build a company that's number six in the world, number one in Japan. So when we come back, Jess is going to talk to us a little bit more about how this car company, this car company has made unbelievable changes throughout the world. Please tune back in. Thank you for tuning in with us. And pray for Robbie. You know, we were sitting here talking. I was thinking about World War One. They did such a poor job at the end of World War One that it created all the problems that made World War Two happen. And if you look at it, World War Two was ten times worse than World War One was. And the Japanese culture very easily could have come out of the end of World War Two wanting to be in charge of everything within their their sphere of influence and built their military back up. But instead, we had MacArthur and we had Deming come in and help transform a uh, economy that was almost ashes. And Jess wanted to talk to us a little bit about Deming and, and all the things that uh, made a difference in the Japanese culture and how that really transformed and made our life better, too. 
Yeah, so I want to kind of imagine where Deming was at when he went over to help the the Japanese. So this is a country that we just devastated, right? And right or wrong or indifferent, um, the country was broken. And and he comes over as an American to help rebuild by focusing on this this company called Toyota that was previously made looms, and now they're going to transform into a car company. And he's helping them by bringing, bringing over some of the concepts of statistical process control and quality improvements. And while he's there, you know, he's, he's a humble guy, and he's learning from them as well, their work ethic, and, and also learning uh, some of the lean manufacturing principles, which he helped to develop and also learn from them, and ended up bringing that back to America and, and helping to make some of our automotive manufacturers better. And as, as many people know, Toyota has a very large presence in America. And I don't think Deming intended this as an outcome, but it turned out that the experience he had at Toyota and the lessons that he learned there turned out to make America better too, right? Because Toyota invested in, in making um, uh, manufacturing sites in America. And I think that's just kind of a story of grace, right? So we're extending grace to a country that we're previously at war with, and in return, an unexpected benefit of being able to to bring that back to America. So I think that's kind of an interesting story. Oh, it's it's a fascinating thing. I remember studying Deming when I was in college, and then I saw your podcast on the uh, how to the spirit of Toyota, um, the Imba. What's the Imba Academy or G- Gimba? Yeah, Gemba Academy is the the company that puts on that podcast. So they don't do a lot of lean and Six Sigma training. So if somebody Googled G-E-M-B-A Academy and J-E-S-S-O-R-R, your your podcast would probably come up? I think there's about a 99% chance it would come it, up. You know, it, it was absolutely, I mean, I knew this was an unbelievably intelligent, bright young lady. And then when I listened to that podcast, my jaw dropped. It's really, really worth your time to go listen to it. And then you've got a web page. Yes, I do. So it's called yokotenlearning.com. So yokoten, I'll spell that in a moment, but it's a Japanese word that means spreading best practices. So if we learn a best practice somewhere, we want to spread it to others. And that's my intent is, you know, sharing lessons learned with others as well as um, learning myself. Um, so that webpage is yokotenlearning.com. And the way I like to remember it is, so it's yoko, Y-O-K-O, just like Yoko Ono, and ten, so T-E-N learning.com so you know if you're in a situation you've got a big company you're trying to to solve some problems and it has a big big deal to do with your production line and how people are getting together and you want to ask just something if you will contact robbie at email at the christian he will make sure that the two of you get hooked up but yet some of the principles that I, I really impressed me is the the continual improvement, even looking for improvement in very small ways, is one of the basic principles that came across in both Toyota and Deming. That uh, in general, in manufacturing back then, you had this big clunky piece of equipment and you just ran it till the daggum thing died, and you didn't look for little ways to make things better. But one of the principles that really came through with Toyota was that you're always, everybody in the company from the janitor up was encouraged to be thinking about ways to make the production line better. But more importantly, how do we make the product just a little bit better? 
that if we can make any small improvement that makes the lives better of the end user or the the people on the assembly line, that those small changes each year make a huge difference. And you try to figure out why some of the richest people in the world, especially computers, yeah, you know, we've we've developed this new idea that small changes are important. What are some of the other principles that are in the the spirit of Toyota? So one of the first principles, um, these are called the 10 Toyota Attitudes, and it's something that we we were really encouraged to adopt, and they resonated with me um, so much that I still have them on my desktop, on my computer, and I've got them in my notebook. Um, But some of them were were customer first. So just like you said, everything we do is for the end customer. Um, And another one was challenge. So we're continuously striving towards our target with a brave spirit. Um, and, and one of them involves um, being cost aware. So you could, there's some improvements you can sure you can make by making an invil- a million dollar investment in the line. But what can we do right now that would be a simple improvement that would make it a little bit better um, before we go looking down that road? Um, integrity is one of them as well. So we always, our actions match um, what we do and what we speak. Um, but there, there's 10 of them, and I've got a, a post about it on my blog page as well as the Gemba Academy podcast on those 10 Toyota attitudes that have had a really big impact on my life and the life of others. Now, respect people, was that one of the 10? Yes, respect for people. And then um, let's see. Some of the ones I remember reading about was uh, develop your employees and your partners to add value to your product. So you want your janitor to do his job the best he can. You want the people on the line to, to, to value coming to work enough that you want to improve their their ability and their skills. Um, where on the other side of it, Ford sort of took a job, broke them into 20 parts, and all you did was stand there and do one thing over and over again until you could barely stand. These People, Deming and Toyota, came along and said, we really want the employees to be happy. We want them to be productive. And we want them to think about what they're doing so that when they go home, they're they're refreshed and they're happy and life's wonderful. Um, If you have a situation in your life like this, call us and talk to us. 866-34-0830. We would love to hear from you. Thank you for tuning in. Keep Robbie in your prayers this morning. Baby, you can drive my car. Yes, I'm gonna be a star. Baby, you can drive my car. And maybe I love you. Beep, 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 yeah. We're so glad you've tuned in. We hope that you will stay tuned in and listen to... um, a really neat story. I'm going to share one first, though. I remember in a management class that uh, somebody was talking about this company that was having this big problem. They, they got people calling up upset because the parts weren't showing up in the boxes. And they went down and they looked and they just couldn't figure out what in the world was going on. And they hired this company that came in and for a million dollars studied everything up and down, right and left. And they ended up putting a scale so if the box came in and the box didn't weigh the right right weight, then all these alarms went off. Well, the company came back in six months later to see how well it worked, and they checked, and the daggum alarm hadn't been going off, but there hadn't been any complaints either. 
So they went down to look at the manufacturing line to try and figure out what the heck was going on. And somebody had set this great big fan up. And as the, the box came down the line, the fan would blow it off if it wasn't heavy enough to stay on the belt. And they realized that the employees for the cost of a fan solved a problem that spent a million dollars to fix because the, the staff didn't like hearing that bell go off. In that case, they didn't go down and listen to the, the valuable input that their own employees could have provided. Is that sort of hit on what you were talking about, Jess? Yeah, it absolutely does. I think we, we tend to default to thinking that we need to have this huge innovative change in order to fix things. Um, but often if we if we leverage the collective mind power of all the people who are have intimate knowledge of that process, we can we can come up with much simpler solutions. So I had um, a similar example that, that happened at Toyota. There was actually several, and I was trying to think which one to, to pick. Um, but you can imagine as you're assembling a car, there's a lot of pieces that have to fit together. And the, you know, the placement of holes on different parts, how those align to the mating components um, matters a lot. And we were having a problem where um, the chrome that we would install onto a door frame um, wouldn't always be aligned with the holes on the door frame. So we got tolerances on all of them, but if the tolerances, you know, shifted to different ranges, um, the parts wouldn't install correctly, and we'd have to shut down the line and figure out what was going on. So initially, that we were thinking of an engineering fix. So the the parts, the door frames, come in from a supplier, the same supplier that makes the the chrome molding. And we were thinking about just, you know, having to scan um, the parts coming in to make sure that the holes were on tolerance um, to the extent that we needed them to be. Huge amount of cost in terms of having to get the scanning equipment and having to um, get the labor to do that. And actually, we talked to one of the supplier engineers, and he had a very simple idea. He said, well, we make the chrome and we make the door frames. Why don't we just do a functional check? We'll just try to install the chrome on the door frames before we ship them to you and make sure that they align correctly. Um, so very minimal cost. And, you know, it was an idea that he had because he was close to the process. Um, so that that's definitely an example of sometimes the simplest solution um, is the most effective. So by going and talking to the people that actually get their hands dirty, they were able to solve a problem instead of going out and spending a whole bunch of pe money on somebody that hadn't come in and looked at the uh, the process. W one of the principles um, that I read about was how you, and you talked about putting your boots on. Um, you want to talk a little bit about how you've gone down into a site and, and discovered a problem and a solution just by asking what was the why, why, why five times? Was that, do I remember that correctly? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you don't have to always ask um, five times, but the, the principle is that we don't want to get to a symptom. We want to get down to the root cause. What's actually causing the issue? Um, and so we ask, you know, why? So we might have a problem. We say, well, why is that problem occurring? And we get to, okay, here's why we think it's occurring. Well, why is that happening? And we keep doing that until we can't ask why anymore. Um, an example of this, so we had a supplier who, uh, this was such a frustrating problem, we would get sheet metal components that had a small bracket welded onto them, and that bracket was used to install a G-sensor, which is used to sense the force um, to deploy the airbag if you have a uh, collision. So pretty important part, right? We want to have that on the vehicle. 
And um, the problem was the supplier was not welding that bracket on. So we would get, we would, um, we'd actually caught it in body weld, so we'd catch it pretty early. And um, the bracket wouldn't be there, and we'd have to get with the supplier and, and yell at them respectfully, why haven't you welded the bracket on? So that concept of getting on my boots, I said, I'm just kind of curious, you know, what does the, the installation of the G sensor onto this bracket look like? You know, just randomly, I'm just going to go walk to the assembly line and go see where that's actually installed. And um, so walking down the assembly line, I get to a point where they actually install the bumper over the part. And at that point, you can't install a G sensor on the bumpers obscuring it. And I realized that that bracket wasn't being used to, for the G sensor. Um, engineering with the model change had moved the G sensor, but had never removed the bracket from the drawing. So pretty simple fix, remove the bracket from the drawing. Now the supplier, is it's impossible to mess up that part in that way because the bracket's not needed anymore. You know, so that's an example of really digging deep into a problem, not assuming that the problem is not welding the bracket on, but looking for a, a possible alternate explanation and solution for that. Well, I can think of many occasions in my life where if you just took a little bit of time and thought about where you were and what the problem was, that you can back into figuring out how you got to the problem. And then I've worked with folks that just pull out that hammer and start hitting things, which is sort of a husband thing that goes along. You know, that if all you have is a hammer, then that's the solution to all problems. It, it fascinated me to, to read about how Deming and uh, Toyota did such a good job of bringing the group of people together to really have discussions about what exactly is the problem, what do you think the problem was, and that in a lot of times, Deming would say, for every person you brought into the conversation, you got a different answer of what the problem was. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So when I, um, when I teach problem solving to groups of people, I like to explain it as it's, it's crime scene investigation for that well, problem. Like that. Yeah, yeah. So we're going in with, we don't know what the answer is, right? We don't know what the, the solution is until we understand what caused the problem. And we're going to take this spirit of inquiry, right? So we've got a curiosity around this, right? So we, we know we have a problem, but you know, what actually caused it? We don't know. We're going to go investigate, get some data. What do you think might have caused it? Okay, you think it might be, you know, a broken lever on the machine? Well, let's go out and look and see if possibly that's that's the reason. But by getting those, um, that wide group of people, um, people from different functional areas, some fresh eyes, um, it makes the problem solving all that much more robust and you're much more likely to actually fix the problem that way. Now, what are some of the other... Um principles of the Toyota system? So there's um, there's some technical ones, um, but the two that kind of resonate with me, and I think most, most people would, would kind of be familiar with these concepts. So we had these two pillars of the Toyota house, and one was respect for people, and the other one was continuous improvement, so also known as Kaizen. So that idea that we're constantly striving towards our true north and that might look like making a couple of steps one day and maybe, you know, running, running a few miles another day, but we're continuously striving towards that perfect condition. I remember reading, and I don't know whether it was Kichiro. Is that how you say his name, Kichiro? Yeah, we'll go with that. That sounds good. Okay. Uh, whether it was Kichiro or his father who said that our workers are the treasures of our factory. The, the workers are the important part of what's going on. 
that even the person uh, Deming was big on, even the, the janitor who comes to work has to feel like their job is important and what they do makes a difference. And I remember, I don't remember the specifics, but I remember he had a couple really great stories about how the janitors in these businesses came up with ideas that saved factories millions of dollars that they were walking around and seeing and saw things from a different, totally different angle than everybody else in the company and just came up with absolutely brilliant ideas. And yet I have in my life met and read about some people that had jobs on that level that were far more intelligent than anybody gave them credit for and came up with just unbelievable. Yet I think back about the, the Wright brothers and about Ford, yet they didn't go to college. They didn't have college degrees. They were both bicycle repair people. Now, that's sort of simplistic. They actually, you gave them a chunk of metal and a chunk of rubber, and they gave you back a bicycle. But, you know, their, their humble beginnings allowed them to solve unbelievable problems. Um, I do a little bit in the jail and the prison, and one of the stories I like to talk about is how Ford, after he set up these bicycle factories looked at a car that was going by and said yeah that's not much more complicated than taking two of my bicycles welding them together and putting a motor on the back Uh, well when we come back we'll talk a little bit more about how everybody is important and that we should um, pray for the other people and look at them as important intelligent parts of our life please keep robbie in your prayer this morning and we'll be back in a few minutes We want to thank you for tuning in and coming back and staying with us. We want to thank all of you that are praying for Robbie and his father, who's in the hospital right now. We want to encourage all of you to think about this coming week and how you can pay more attention to those around you, especially those that work for you and do more humble jobs and uh, understand that everybody's important, that um, we have problems that come up in our lives that we've got to deal with. And sometimes problems seem really huge, and most of the time they seem really huge because we really haven't sat down and thought them through carefully. We haven't articulated to ourselves exactly what it is. We haven't broken it down into small enough pieces. Ford said no problem is so big that it can't be broken down into small enough pieces to be accomplished. And if we break those problems down through prayer, through writing them down, through talking to people that we love and care about, when we break them down, we a lot often find that we just have one small problem that we can find help with. A story I love is uh, when I go in the jail, I talk about we got this old Model T, and somebody's going to pay us $5,000 to put it into small parts, take it through these two doors and set it up in that other area does anybody have anything better to do or would you be willing for a thousand bucks to help me take this thing apart there are the tools there's the manual and then when we come in the next morning instead of a model t we just got a great big pyramid of parts and i say now is our job easier than harder i always laugh because somebody says it's easier than the others look at them and say hey man 
I said, well, what are we going to do first? Well, we talk, talk about it. And generally, the smartest one says, well, let's carry all the big parts over to the other area first. And we all agree we probably can get that sucker all put back together except for the transmission and the carburetor. Well, then we think about it and say, you know, in this day and time with a computer and a phone, I bet you I can find somebody in one day that loves Model Ts and carburetors enough that they'd be glad to come down and help us. And I bet I could find somebody that loves Model Ts and transmissions enough to come down and help us. Now, one of them might say, step back. I don't want you any of your help. You can watch. And the other guy might say, or girl might say, Look, I'm going to tell you how to do it. I don't want to get my hands dirty. But my point is, once you take that big problem and you break it down into small ones, it's almost no problem to find somebody to help you. I tell them in the jail, there are hundreds of thousands of people with the exact same problem you have that have overcome it and solved that problem and made a difference in their life. And there are all kinds of groups and individuals that would love to help you, but you've got to be able to articulate exactly what it is you need. You go driving down the middle of a road in the middle of the night, and you pull into a gas station and you say, help me, I'm lost. What are they going to ask you? Put your right hand up if you said, where are you going? If you don't know where you're going, people can't help you. And part of our discussion here is how to look around and help a group, and help the people around you, try to figure out where the heck they're going. Jess, you had, you wanted to share a little bit about how you go into a, a business, a factory, a group, and try to figure out where they're going. Yeah, um, absolutely. I mean, I can think with the with this, the turnaround situation. Um, I remember a conversation I had with the steering team, and I said, "Why are we here? What are we trying to accomplish?" And they said, "You know, we want to imp- improve our production numbers." I said, "I need you to go a little bit deeper. You know, what are you? What are? Why do we come to work?" And one person said, "Well, to make money, of course." And I said, "Why do you want to make make money?" And he said, um, because we want to provide for our families. And I said, okay, so that's your, that's your why. That's why we're here. We're here to provide for ourselves and our families um, through job security. So helping them understand their why, why we were doing this, where we were going. We are going to ensure security for everybody, their jobs. And to do that, we knew we, we had to improve our numbers to do that. Um, but that was a rallying cry for them. So once we understood the problem that we were solving was really maintaining job security, how do we do that? It was easier to, to really capture everyone's hearts and minds towards that vision. Can you think of a time where you went in, well, let's put it this way, what's your greatest success when you look back at, at your work life, at trying to implement the the principles of Toyota and you went into a factory or a manufacturing situation and you really saw something great happen you got a story there I do um I remember one time I, I and to answer the question first is anytime I can see someone transform their thinking and develop themselves and become better because of the the principles that we've used those have by far and large been the greatest successes in my career is helping someone along that journey. There was a, um, a situation where the supervisor of an area that I was working with to try to improve some things was very command and control. So not so much respect for people, but I'm the one with the solutions, I'm the one with the answers. You know, We've all either worked for or experienced people like that. 
and worked with him to really start empowering his people, you know, in, in very small steps at first. Well, you know, so-and-so has this idea. Let, let's try it, see if it works or not. Um, and we kept doing this and kept building on it and saw success. And I love this quote that he gave at the end. Um, I remember it verbatim, actually. He said, I asked him what he had learned as a result of this project. And he said, I learned that when you empower your people and you give them the right tools, you as a leader can stand back and watch the magic happen. And that just gave me chills when he said that. And it was also corroborated by the approach that I witnessed him taking and others verified he had taken much more of a servant leadership approach. But to realize that, you know, I had a small role in actually transforming someone's mindset into more of a servant leadership one um, was just, it was completely inspiring to me. Yeah, the story that pops in my head is where Jesus washes the feet of his disciples. You know, are we looking for situations where we can do the, the humble job, where we can make sure that things are going right in people's lives in addition to what's going right on the production line or the job in front of us. You know, a happy worker, somebody that comes to work that doesn't have a whole bunch of problems they're bringing in with them is going to be a whole lot more productive than somebody that's mind is just you know, in insurance. We've got this really weird concept that a lot of people don't like. It's that if you have an accident or a violation or a ticket, the insurance goes up. And if you have a second one, it goes up more. But statistically, they will tell you, and we've got these crazy people that um, are paid a lot of money to do this. Anybody that has one accident is like six times more likely to have a second accident. And the second accident, it's even, and I started thinking about it one time when I was trying to figure out how I was going to explain this to this client that it had three. But in most cases, it's because you got problems going on in your life and those problems are affecting the way you think. Now I got to tell you that, you know, this is an alcoholic and a drug addict that has been clean for over 30 years. This is a father who had a child that went through leukemia. And I will say to you that there's some things that can make a difference. And one of them's prayer. And one of them's having some scripture tucked away with you so that when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, you know it's the Holy Spirit. And the verses that have always meant the most to me is, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, lift up your request to God, and the peace of Christ which transcends all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And if you've got Jesus in your heart, if you're a part of God's family, you are chosen and holy and dearly loved by the Creator of all. And those verses have made a big difference in my life, and I love to share them. I want to ask you today to think about what you can share out of your knowledge about Jesus Christ with somebody in this coming week. How can you be a light on the hill or a time of refreshing to others? How can you demonstrate that you're Christ on this planet figure out how you can pray with somebody and then invite him to your small group or invite him to your church or invite him to your sunday school class because you you are an ambassador for christ we appreciate you have a wonderful week